We're really glad that you could be here. It's so exciting to be back in the building. For those of you that are joining us online, uh, thank you for worshiping with us this weekend as well. This is an exciting weekend for us. It's sort of like uh, we're getting started back inside and at, we're, we're back home again. And it feels good to be home, doesn't it? Yeah, really does. So if you've been with us, we've been going through the book of Acts. We've been going through a series on the book of Acts. And uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, a big significant chapter is Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost when the Lord sends the Holy Spirit to dwell among the church age and a lot of dramatic things start to happen. Last week we talked about um, Peter and John and the healing of a lame man as they were going to the temple. And this week we're going to continue on in that series in Acts chapter 4. So I encourage if you have your Bibles or if you have your, your phone apps, you're going to want to get that ready on Acts chapter 4. And we're going to be in the first 20 verses of that chapter this week. And it's when we read about um, the start of the starting of the church age in the book of Acts, it's really an exciting time in church history because we see the Lord move in a new way. And we see some new things happening. And of course, this all happens after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The descending of the Holy Spirit is promised in John 14 and John 16. Jesus says, when I go away, I'm going to send a helper. And the helper, you know, he lists all the jobs. He will witness. He'll testify. He'll convict you of sin. Uh, he'll be your counselor. There's, there's all kinds of things that are listed in those chapters. So it is very exciting when we read about what is happening in the early church age and to know we are still in the church age. Thousands of years later, we are still carrying on that work. So we're going to talk more about that this week in Acts chapter 4. Uh, but before we get to that, I wanted to ask you a question and start off the message this way. I want you to think in your mind just for a moment, what is one thing that you are really confident of? Or what is one ability that you have that you are really confident in that ability? So think for a minute, how has God gifted you or, or given you talents or what skills have you developed that you would think, okay, there's an area in my life that I'm really confident. Maybe you're a good reader. You know, you could read through a book really fast. Maybe you're good at math and, and God's gifted you that way. Maybe you're a good musician or a good singer. Uh, maybe you're a great cook. You love to cook. There's some way that God has gifted you or have has given you confidence or some that you have built up in your life. And you could probably talk about it for days. You know, if I were to ask you, well, tell me, you know, you seem to be really good at cooking. Tell me how to cook this or cook that or what things go together. You could talk about it and talk about it because you have a lot of confidence uh, in your own abilities. And, you know, whether God gifted you that way or you received those skills by working on it, there's confidence there. And the confidence that, that you feel and you have, we want to sort of relate that to our spiritual lives. I remember um, when I first got out of high school, I was working in a car dealership for a couple of years. And um, when I was working there, I was trying to share my faith at one point in the break room. And, and man, these guys were giving me such a hard time. These guys were, you know, everything. I, I was probably doing a terrible job defending my faith, throwing out verses that didn't make sense to people. You know, I just was trying to explain that Christ had changed my life. And I was probably doing a pretty lousy job of it. And as a result, the skeptics that were there, they were really giving me a hard time. You know, they start calling me Jesus boy and all this kind of stuff. And there's a Bible thumper in our room. You know, they're going on and on about this. And I'll never forget, like, I was getting just killed in this, uh, in this break room. And a little while later, I had a friend at the dealership, this guy, Ronnie. And Ronnie was a, uh, he was a bodybuilder, a weightlifter guy. Whenever we needed to move something, we always called Ronnie. 
And um, Ronnie was a friend of mine. He and I would talk all the time. But I'll never forget, Ronnie observed this whole thing that was going on. And uh, as I, people were leaving the room and I was just shaking my head, Ronnie looks at me and he says, hey, Eric. And he reaches in his pocket and he pulls out the smallest Bible I've ever seen. And he looks at me and he's like, like I'm in the club. And I'm like, man, why don't you say something, Ronnie? I'm getting killed. He said, hey, I don't preach it because I don't know it. I don't have any confidence in that. But you know, Scripture tells us when we accept Christ as our Lord and Savior, we should have confidence in who we are in Him. In fact, 1 Peter 3.15 says, But in your hearts, reveal Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks. Uh, to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have but do this with gentleness and respect. You know, on that day, I don't know how much gentleness and, and respect I had in trying to defend my faith, but the verse really points out to us that we have a responsibility, you know, as we have accepted Christ as our Lord and Savior and we're believers and we are followers of Jesus Christ, we should be able to give a reason for the hope that we have in Christ. And we should have the confidence to be able to do that. And that's really what a lot of this message is, is how we can be a confident disciple, especially when we face skeptics. Because in this world that we live in, you will encounter skeptics. Maybe at one time you yourself were a skeptic. And you're like, I don't know what this whole God thing is. I don't really believe in that. But through God's grace and, and through God's uh, glory and, and his extension to you in, in reaching out, you've accepted Christ and you're no longer a skeptic. You're on the other side of it. And we have to remember what that's like, but we should be able to do this with gentleness and respect, but we want to be able to have the confidence when it comes to that. So how can we have this type of confidence in our faith? How can we have confidence to be able to give answers to other people? You know, we talked a little bit about it. If you were here last week out of Acts 3, there was three things that we pointed out. We talked about the after effects of the Holy Spirit. And the first one was we need to be disciplined in our prayer life. We need to be disciplined and, and make sure that we have that time with the Lord, a uh, consistent time where we're praying to Him. Um, we also need to use powerful words that are lined up with Scripture and not, and not be afraid to declare the name of Christ. And we also need to be ex willing to accept the work of God, whatever those results are. We talked about just having that blank sheet of paper and say, God, I trust you for the results but I'm willing to do your work. And we talked about those three things and they're building blocks for us as believers in the way that we follow Christ. And they should strengthen our relationship with him and help us and help guide us into being a more confident believer and a more confident follower and a more confident person when it comes to sharing our faith. When we do those things, we'll have answers for the skeptics that are in our lives. And the people who don't quite understand or may not agree with our position will be able to do that with gentleness and love. The idea in your outline is a committed disciple demonstrates confidence to others. As we read through Ch Acts chapter 4, we're going to see how Peter and John had confidence in the circumstance that they were in. Even though they were sort of outmatched and outnumbered and were being asked some very tough questions, they still responded with confidence because they were filled with the Holy Spirit. So as we look into this chapter in Acts chapter 4, the first thing I'd like to do is just pray together as a church, pray together as a church family, whether you're here or whether you're online. Uh, join me in prayer. Let's ask God to open up our hearts and minds as we look at Acts chapter 4 tonight. God, we come before you, and it's so great to be here in your house. 
It is so great to be here at church, but God, we also know that you are with us wherever we go. And we can pray to you, we can come to you, we can uh, ask for your help. Um, God, we can come to you at any time we want to in life because once we accept you as our Lord and Savior, you are there with us. So God, we rejoice that we are here, but we know that wherever we are, you're there with us. God, I pray tonight as we look into your word that you would open our hearts and minds Help us to understand scripture, maybe even in a new way, and learn more about what you want for us in our lives. We pray this in your name. Amen. So I invite you to follow along. I'm going to read Acts 4. I'm going to read uh, all 1 through 20 so we get the complete picture here and the complete story, and then we'll go back and we'll break it down a little more. So follow along as I read Acts 4, 1 through 20. This is about Peter and John before the council. As they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them. They were greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John and Alexander, all of who were with the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, being filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed? Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived they were uneducated common men. They were astonished. They recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed to them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or to teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and what we have heard. Point number one in the outline is, A confident disciple is filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, when we set the stage and we think about this passage of Scripture, Peter and John, if you remember in Acts chapter 3, healed this lame man that was at the gate called Beautiful in the temple courts, and this man got up and he was praising God for what had been done. And Peter and John continue to uh, preach about Jesus in this temple, and this starts to upset the rulers. So it says they grabbed them and put them in jail overnight. If you remember in Acts chapter 3, we talked about how Peter and John went to the temple at the third hour to pray. 
and that third hour would have been sometime in the afternoon. So probably at the time they got around to arresting them, it was already into the evening, and that's why they were locked up and, and held to the next day. It was also interesting as you read this passage to see uh, the hierarchy of the high priests and the Sadducees. They called this the Sanhedrin, the high court, and how they're all together as it lists those different names. One of the things that we notice is that they're all related. They're relatives. You have a father, you have a son, you have brothers, you have kind of a family. There's some nepotism involved with this family unit that uh, has become the high priest. And when we look at history, we see that the high priestly order had been sort of corrupted at this time. People were no longer being put in these positions because of their education or because of their background. It was because of their family name. And they were put in these positions to be able to judge others. The problem was when they looked at the situation, there was nothing illegal that Peter and John had, had done. They couldn't charge innocent men, but they didn't want to admit that it really happened either. So now they have a problem. These people are skeptics. The Sadducees, the Sanhedrin, the, the high priestly rulers, they're skeptics. And they don't want to acknowledge that this happened through the name of Christ. And this is a real serious issue for the council. So they want to test these guys. So they, they order that Peter and John be brought before them so that they can question them themselves and get to the bottom of what's going on here. So we see in verse 7, it says, And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired of them, By what power or by what name did you do this? And really the key to this whole point and the key to this particular passage in 4.8, it says, Then Peter, being filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else and in no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. I love that Peter's return to this religious council is Peter gives them a mini sermon about Christ. He gives them a mini sermon about what Christ did by being crucified on the cross, by taking the punishment for their sins. And I love that Peter points out there is no other name by which someone can be saved other than Jesus Christ. And Peter in his boldness stands up to these religious leaders. Well, what made Peter able to do this? How was he able to stand up to these guys with boldness and with confidence, talk to them? And like I said, that is found in verse 8, because it, the key is Peter was filled by the Holy Spirit. His confidence came from being filled by the Holy Spirit. You know, what a difference for Peter, because if you remember towards the end of the Gospels, we see Peter denying Jesus three times because he didn't have the boldness to stand up for Jesus. He denies Christ right before Jesus is crucified. And now here he is standing up to the religious leaders of the day. What has happened in Peter's life? The things that he has seen, the things that he has heard, and being filled by the Holy Spirit as a result of Acts chapter 2, when we see the Holy Spirit descend upon the church age. You know, we need to clarify the statement being filled with the Holy Spirit. That can be a difficult a statement for some people to grasp because in, in our words, we think of something being filled or something being empty. 
And we think, well, if we're filled with the Holy Spirit, if we're not filled with the Holy Spirit, did the Holy Spirit leave us? Is he no longer in us? Is that why I need to be refilled? Like what's happening in our lives that um, I need to be filled by the Holy Spirit? And it can be a confusing topic, but when we read through Scripture, we see that being filled with the Holy Spirit really means being controlled by the Holy Spirit. And no, once we accept Christ as our Lord and Savior and we become believers in Jesus Christ, once we do that, we are baptized by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit dwells within us, and He will not leave us or forsake us. But unfortunately, in our lives, we let other things come in. I have an illustration for you. Today, I have a bag of Skittles. Everybody likes Skittles, right? Can't Yes, yeah, this guy said, I like them. All right, so if I pour these Skittles into this little clear bowl, you know, Skittles are very brightly colored. And if we think of this bowl as, as us as individuals, um, being filled by the Spirit are all the good things. We know the fruit of the Spirit, the Scripture tells us, it's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those are the fruits of the Spirit. Those are the things in our lives when we are being controlled by the Spirit. Those are the things that should be exemplified in our lives. People should see that in us. They should see the fruits of the Spirit. That's what it means when we're filled by the Spirit. When we have accepted Christ and we're baptized by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit dwells within us, and we have the ability to show the fruits of the Spirit to other people. But if I take this thing of motor oil, and I dump motor oil, this is some 5W30 here. If anybody needs it for their car on the way home, you can have some. If I dump this motor oil into the bowl of Skittles, it becomes pretty unappealing, doesn't it? Nobody would want these things. It tainted what was good about the fruits of the Spirit, and it's covered it with stuff that we would not want it to be covered with. And these two things don't go together. You don't put motor oil and Skittles together. They don't work well together. They work in opposition of each other. So it is with us when we talk about being filled with the Holy Spirit and having the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Unfortunately, as sinful people, we let other things into our lives. We let unholy things, unrighteous things, greed, jealousy, uh, unholy thoughts, slander, lust, all of these things that we allow into our lives become like that motor oil. And it makes us very unappealing when those are the things that come out of us. You know, Scripture tells us, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. When we're controlled by the Spirit, we show the fruits of the Spirit to one another. We show the fruits of the Spirit to the skeptics of our world. We show the fruits of the Spirit to our families, to our coworkers, to one another. When we let all those other things get in there, it messes up the whole works, and we present a very unholy position to other people. For us to be confident and being filled with the Spirit, we have to protect ourselves from those things, those sinful things that get into our lives and take away our ability to show the Holy Spirit or to show the fruits of the Spirit to one another. In Philippians 1 6, it says, Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion the day of Jesus Christ, the day of Christ Jesus. We need to have confidence that. Once God starts that good work in us, once we've accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, there is a good work 
that has been started in us that will continue all through our lives all the way until the day of Christ Jesus. And yes, some days you will not feel like you are filled with the Holy Spirit. And some days you will not show the fruits of the Spirit to one another. But by us reading Scripture, by us dwelling on God's Word, by us praying, by us repenting of our sin, we start to get rid of that stuff so that people can see the fruits of the Spirit in our lives. Do you want to be a confident disciple? you got to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Point number two in the outline is, a confident disciple has spent time with Jesus. Starting in verse 13, it says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated common men. They were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside him, they had nothing to say in opposition. Uh, verse 13 is, a, is a, a good understanding for us as Peter and John are talking to this religious high council. Immediately they know there's something about it's whether their manner of speaking, the words that they used, maybe the way that they were dressed. But this council perceives that these are uneducated men. Maybe they didn't use big words or, or maybe just the dialect that they used, this council was able to pick up pretty quick. These are not sophisticated guys. These are not well-educated university people. These are common men. And they were astonished at what they said. But they recognized that they had been with Jesus. You know, when you think of the credentials of the early church age, here we have two guys that just did jail time. One of those guys denied Christ three times. One of those guys cut off the ear of a servant. He had a violent background. He had denying in his background. He told lies. And now he just spent time in jail. And here he stands before the religious council defending Christ. See, our confidence doesn't come from our past. Our confidence doesn't come from our knowledge. Yes, knowledge helps. We don't ever want to proclaim a false gospel. In fact, the book of James tells us in James 3.1, it says, let not many of you become teachers because there's a stricter judgment when we lead people astray. So we do need to understand the gospel. We need to understand how Christ, Christ is alive and working in our lives. We need to understand how we're filled with the Holy Spirit. But our confidence comes from being filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, if these guys, if they looked at their backgrounds, they would say, well, these guys are unqualified to talk to a religious council. These guys are unqualified to heal a lame man. These guys are unqualified to heal someone in the name of Jesus Christ. These guys are unqualified to preach because of their background. But through God's grace and God's mercy and through the repentance of sin and through the, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, these men are found worthy to start the church age. And they're recognized by this high priestly council when they say there's a boldness to these guys that we can't quite put our finger on. So the question for us is how do we spend time with Jesus? I've actually had people ask me that. They said, you know, I accepted Christ as my Savior, but and I hear you guys always talk about how I need to spend time with Jesus. Well, besides praying and reading my Bible, I don't know what that means. I don't know what it means to spend time with Jesus. A few years ago, I had the opportunity uh, to go visit my uh, older sister and my brother-in-law 
who live out in Utah, and they live at the bottom of the Wasatch mountain chain. And uh, my brother-in-law, Dave, and I got to just go out on a hike one day, and we started very low on the mountain, and we hiked all the way up to the snow line. I don't know our elevation, but it was a long hike. It took us a good part of the day to get up there. Um, there's all kinds of, you know, drop-offs and cliffs and hundreds of feet down here, and the whole way up, Dave, saying, be careful. You know, you're from New Jersey. You don't know these mountains like we know them out here. These are way higher than what you have there. And I remember hiking up. We spent all this time. And when we got to the top, it was like air conditioning. It was so cold. You know, the breeze was blowing across the snow. And it was just such, such a beautiful place to be. And Dave shows me this big rock that he likes to go out and sit on. So we sat down on the rock. And I remember Dave saying to me, he says, you know, every time I get here alone, I sit down and I thank God for Jesus. I thank God for the salvation that I have through Jesus Christ. I thank God for sending Jesus to die on the cross for me. I thank God for this beautiful landscape that I can see when I'm up here. And the last thing I do is I thank God for letting me see this one more time. Because I don't know if I'll be able to hike up here again. So I spend time and I'm thankful. When I think about spending time with Jesus... That hike that I was on with Dave and hearing his story, that's spending time with Jesus. Being thankful for what God has done in your life. Being thankful for the things that you might not recognize otherwise. Being thankful just for the landscape that you get to see as you're driving your car down the road. Being thankful that we could be inside this building again after being outside for four months or even longer. Being thankful for those small things. That's what it means to spend time with Jesus. Yes, we need to pray. Yes, we need to memorize scripture and read scripture and bury it deep in our hearts. But we also need to have Christ as part of our everyday lives. We need to be thankful for those things that we miss. And we need to look for opportunities to share with others and bless others through those fruits of the spirit that should be coming out in our lives. Psalm 19.14 says, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. See, the skeptics in our world will want us to refuse to believe in Jesus Christ. The skeptics in our world will pose all the arguments of why we shouldn't follow the Bible or why we shouldn't uh, expect God to do miracles in our lives or, or why we shouldn't have a prayer time. The skeptics in our lives will always give you the excuse of why you shouldn't do things. It makes what living in this world can be so difficult because there's so much working against us. But yes, scripture tells us that the meditation of our heart needs to be acceptable in the sight of God. And how do we do that? We do that by spending time with Jesus. We do that by being filled with the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, 38 through 39 reminds us that when we face the skeptics in our lives, when we face the people that are in opposition to scripture, when we face those people that just want to call you a Bible thumper, it says, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That needs to be buried in our hearts. And it needs to be buried deep. Because no matter what opposition you face in life, no matter what skeptic you come upon, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. And when you cling to that, you remember to be thankful for all that God's doing. When you cling to that and you get to the top of the mountain, 
You say, God, thank you for getting me here one more time. Thank you for the salvation that I have in Jesus Christ. Do you want to be a confident disciple? Then you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Do you want to continue on in that confidence? Then you need to spend time with Jesus. You need to spend time in the word, time in time in prayer, time just meditating and dwelling on him. And point number three is a confident disciple testifies about what they know for certain. In Acts uh, 4.15, it says, but when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another saying, what shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed to them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem and we can't deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and what we have heard. See, a confident disciple will testify of things that they know for certain. And you may not be the greatest defender of the entire Bible. You may may not be great at recalling Old Testament passages and New Testament passages. And, and there may be all kinds of holes in your argument. However, what you can testify is, I know for sure that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to be the sacrifice for my sinful life. And I've accepted him as Lord and Savior. And God has changed my life. That's what you know for certain. That's what you can share with people. You don't have to be a Bible scholar to know that. You just have, that, have to have the confidence of the Holy Spirit in you. Peter and John certainly didn't know everything. And whatever they said, you know, the Sanhedrin picks up on them that they're not educated, not sophisticated guys. And their credentials kind of spoke for themselves. But they had a willingness to be used by God to be bold when it came to speaking to these men. 1 Timothy 4.12 says, Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Whether you're young in the Lord, whether you've been a believer for 30 years, 40 years, 50 years, it doesn't matter. Our confidence comes from knowing that we have a creator who loves us so much that he sent his son to die on the cross for us. And when we accept him, we're filled with the Holy Spirit. We're baptized by the Holy Spirit into his family. And that's where our willingness and our boldness comes from. Years ago, when I was in camping ministry, um, there was a guy who applied to be a counselor. This guy's name was Breck Erickson. And uh, Breck has gone on to be with the Lord. He's, he's, Lord called him home. But the thing that was so unique about Breck, and I'll never forget this, is this guy comes to camp and Breck was blind. He is blind since he was a teenager. He walked with a cane. And I thought, how in the world is this guy ever going to be a counselor? He can't see. How's he going to keep track of the kids? How's he going to do devotions at night? How's he going to know if the kids sneak out of the cabin? You know, how can we possibly have this guy? And I'll never forget talking to him. And he says, I assure you, I can do this job if you'll give me a chance. Because I know the Lord can use me in this way to reach these boys and girls for Jesus Christ. I just need a chance. So we hired Breck. And we thought, okay, we'll put him in between two other cabins so maybe the other counselors can, can sort of watch him and uh, see if he needs any help. And I was always amazed at Breck because the guy who had the most control over his group of campers every week was Breck. 
And I would listen to his devotions. I remember sitting outside of his cabin and hearing Breck teach to the kids. And I would hear him stop his devotions. And he would say, well, it sounds like to me like somebody's fooling around in here and not really paying attention to my devotions. And I remember Breck at night waiting for all the kids to fall asleep before he would fall asleep. So he knew that they were all out for the night. Breck was a remarkable individual. And every year he flew from Oregon all the way to New Jersey to be a counselor to teach boys and girls about Jesus Christ, to lead other people into the arms of Christ. He was a remarkable guy. And God used him in a powerful way because he was willing. He was willing to preach the gospel. He was willing to take what he could do and use it for God's kingdom. There was a willingness that he had. And he testified the things that he knew for sure. You know, Brett wasn't, uh, Breck wasn't exactly a Bible scholar, but he knew enough. And he knew enough to teach the kids about Jesus Christ. You don't have to be a scholar to be confident. You just need to be a willing one. Someone who will share what they know for certain. Do you want to be a confident disciple? Then you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Do you want to continue with that confidence? Then you need to spend time with Jesus. And if you want to be a confident disciple, you need to testify what you know for certain. See, spending time building your faith will give you confidence that follows. In the Great Commission in Matthew 28, Jesus appears before his followers and he says, I give you a great commission. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And surely I am with you until the end of the age. See, Jesus left work for us to do. He said, go and make disciples. Peter and John, we see this example in Acts chapter 4 as they carry on that great commission. Peter, even in his rebuttal to this spiritual council, gives a mini sermon and testifies about what they know for certain. Brothers and sisters, we need to testify what we know for certain. We need to be filled with the Spirit, and we need to spend time with Jesus. I'd like to pray about that with you right now. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much that we could be back in your house today, that we could look into your word, that we could look in the book of Acts to find some inspiration for our lives and uh, find some inspiration about what you want from us, God. I pray that everyone here will be filled by your Holy Spirit. I pray those things that are in our lives that shouldn't be there, that those things would get pushed out and we would be able to demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit to the other people that are in our world. God, thank you so much that we could be together as a church family, that we could dwell here together with you and that we could be empowered by you and be empowered by your word. And God, most of all, we want to be thankful people for what you have done for us. So God, I pray you go with us in the week ahead, protect our families. We pray for safety. And God, we just pray that you will help us to accept the challenge of being filled by your Holy Spirit. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you all so much for coming. I'm going to ask you as you exit today, uh, we need you to exit the building. Just go straight out. We encourage you to have fellowship, but we want you to have fellowship out in the parking lot. We can't really have people congregating in the atrium, but we are so blessed that you guys came. Uh, God bless you, and we'll see you all back next week.